0: Welcome to episode number 169, The Essence of Belief. I am your host, Damon Soka. Before I get started today, I wanted to thank those who have left comments on the various platforms on which my podcast is hosted. I have enjoyed them, and I am grateful you spent the time to comment. This podcast is actually hosted on about 20 or more different platforms, each with their own sections for comments, and I simply do not get to each platform every week. Your words are inspiring, and I am grateful for you and your comments. I have also been contacted from time to time by email and other means, and I cherish those emails. I have kept each one, as they remind me regularly that each person is so very valuable to the Lord and to the fabric of His Church, and that He truly attends to His disciples one by one, personally. I would like you to know how much they do mean to me personally as well i love to hear your personal stories struggles trials and also the stories of success redemption and discipleship as i hear your stories i am inspired by you so this is my thank you to you for reaching out and if you feel so inspired please continue to reach out to me and to others in addition to these wonderful emails I received an email recently asking if I was going to produce this podcast in Spanish. I had mentioned this some time ago, but ended up getting sick for quite a while. I believe that I now have the ability to accomplish this, and I will be starting in the next couple of weeks producing the same podcast in Spanish. Now, I I will start with the more recent episodes and work backwards. I will let you know when that is available. Today, I am going to return to a story in the New Testament I have discussed a couple of times. This is the story of the man who brought his young son to the disciples to have them heal him, but they could not. Now, when the Savior and his three chief apostles descended from the spiritual heights of the Transfiguration, they found this man helpless and hopeless, as the desired healing had not occurred. The remaining apostles, we don't know exactly who, were also bewildered by their lack of healing ability, as they had apparently not had any issue up to this point. No doubt, the Savior took a moment to survey the scene and what had transpired, and then turned his attention first to the man and his son. The man's tale is heartbreaking, as we find that his son is afflicted with a terrible illness or malady of the brain. It it seems, or appears, that either he or his wife must spend almost every waking hour caring for this son to keep him from harm. From the brief description we get from the scriptures, he is exhausted physically, mentally, and emotionally. His entire life is one consistent struggle for his child. He came with what hope he had, in the remote possibility that these disciples, who had healed before could do the same for his son. But when the moment came, and the healing did not appear, his desperation appears to have multiplied, and a dispute of some kind had occurred with the disciples. We don't know much about this dispute, but we do learn something about the man when Jesus asks him about his belief. His first answer to the, to the Savior, Lord, I believe, appears to have been more a matter of desperation rather than true belief. He quickly realized that his answer was not as truthful as he declared it, and then he added, Lord, help thou my unbelief. There are many things we learn from this exchange with the Savior, but I want to focus today on the Father and this idea of belief. But before we get too deep into this Father's belief, or lack thereof, I think that we need to understand the idea of belief. When we say we believe, what does that truly mean? What is the constitution of belief? First of all, let's make sure that we clearly understand that belief is an emotion. Yes, belief requires knowledge, but it is primarily an emotion. Alma describes it in his discussion of faith in Alma 32 as a seed of knowledge that enlarges the soul, enlightens, understanding, and is delicious. That sounds like emotions. So we must have a morsel of knowledge, and then we must attach it to emotions described as enlightening, enlarging, and delicious. The first thing we see with belief is that it creates impressionable emotions upon the soul. And these impressions are not just a minor, flittering feeling. Belief is a moving emotion one that generally causes action. In addition to this feeling, belief needs solid ground. For our belief to become rock-solid, it needs evidence to cement those positive emotions. So we must have a reasonable amount of truth or knowledge, a positive emotional imprint, and then evidence supporting the belief for it to remain and to become a part of us. So when this man, who had brought his child to the Savior, stated, Help mine unbelief, he was struggling with at least one of these three elements of belief. Evidently, he had some type of knowledge that the disciples or Savior could possibly heal, or he would not have asked or even come to them. As far as evidence, he might have known someone healed or heard a secondhand story, but he might not even have had any real evidence given his desperation. So we see that he started out with some type of knowledge, a spark of hope, which is actually a very positive emotion, and at least some small type of evidence. However, his experience with his son, and perhaps other failed experiences during his son's lifetime, attempting to find a healing balm, had tempered his belief, and evidently he came with some doubts. So like many of us, this man came with a tempered hope a belief clouded with earthly failure. When the disciples could not heal his son, the evidence was simply too much for him to continue in belief. I think each of us can relate in some way. We come to the Savior pleading for help and relief, but our belief is tempered or clouded by our experience and obscured by our illness itself. We desire to come to the Savior with bedrock belief, but our Bedrock is much sandier than we would like it to be because life, our illness, and mortality have clouded our emotional memory. What we find with the Savior is how He worked with this man. He did not condemn him for his troubled belief. He did not tell him to come back when he had greater faith. Once he was fully honest with the Savior, we find that the Savior lovingly took what this man had and made up the difference. Sometimes, many times, that is all that is required. Elder Holland also gave a wonderful sermon on this same story and the topic of belief. And I'm going to quote a couple portions of it because I think it's important. Elder Holland stated the following of his observations of this story in his April 2013 General Conference talk entitled, Lord, I Believe. Quote. Observation number one regarding this account is that when facing the challenge of faith, the Father asserts His strength first and only then acknowledges His limitation. His initial declaration is affirmative and without hesitation, Lord, I believe. I would say to all who wish for more faith, remember this man. In moments of fear or doubt or troubling times, hold the ground you already have won even if that ground is limited. In the growth, we all have to experience in mortality the spiritual equivalent of this boy's affliction or this parent's desperation is going to come to all of us. When those moments come and issues surface, the resolution of which is not immediately forthcoming, hold fast to what you already know and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. The second observation is a variation of the first. When problems come and questions arise, do not start your quest for faith by saying how much you do not have, leading as it were with your unbelief. That is like trying to stuff a turkey through the beak. Let me be clear on this point. I am not asking you to pretend to faith you do not have. I am asking you to be true to the faith you do have. Sometimes we act as if an honest declaration of doubt is a higher manifestation of moral courage than is an honest declaration of faith. It is not. So let us all remember the clear message of this scriptural account. Be as candid about your questions as you need to be. Life is full of them on one subject or another. But if you and your family want to be healed, don't let those questions stand in the way of faith working its miracle. Now, the Lord knows the quantity and quality of your belief. The Lord knows that your belief is going to vary and be obscured by your illness. The Lord knows at times your illness may even rob you of your belief. What He needs is for you to come with whatever you have at that moment. There is no need to rehearse the reasons for your lack of belief unless that is helpful to your discussion with Him, Express to Him honestly and truthfully where you stand with your belief at the moment you are asking for His help. There is no need to express how much you don't believe. The Lord already knows. He knows your questions, your feelings, your desires or lack thereof. He knows that you need help and that you desire healing. He knows of your suffering and the darkness that has engulfed your life. The key words here are, he knows. But it is not that he needs you to tell him. It is that you need to recognize it and you do so by telling the Lord how and what you feel. I personally have had very many honest discussions with the Lord. I find the more honest I am with myself and with Him, the better the outcome. Sometimes, and perhaps more often than I will admit in public, I must ask the Lord to help me to know what it is I am feeling and how to express it. Sometimes it cannot be expressed in words. That is the beauty of prayer. It is more than words. It is the emotion you feel as well. Sometimes prayer is expressed far more in our emotions than in our words, and the Lord can feel those emotions and desires when we express our belief, our hopes, our desires, our suffering, we search our souls and reflect upon what it is we truly believe. That is one of the purposes of prayer, to aid us in searching our own souls and expressing our true desires to the Lord. The more honest we are with ourselves and with the Lord, the better we come to know Him. Now, let us return to belief and what I will call those three pillars of belief. To believe we must receive truth, have a positive emotional experience with it, and then have confirming evidence of that belief. And this process must occur again and again for our ground to become solid, compacted, and able to withstand the storms that swirl around us as we battle those internal demons. It is so important to understand that belief is linked directly to that positive emotion because when our illness strikes those positive emotions are often some of the first things to leave us. I assure you that the truth and the evidence will be insufficient without those positive emotions. This is why when we suffer it feels so much as though we have lost our testimony, lost our way and struggle to believe. We have the truth. We remember the evidence, but without the emotion, our testimony is hollow. Belief is primarily an emotion, or remembering those positive emotions that have occurred when we received the truth, and then acted accordingly. Mental illness will rob you of those emotions for a time during your episodes. It will not be entirely obscured, especially if you continue to honor your covenants. The Lord will, from time to time, allow you to feel that belief, even in your suffering, but it will likely not last as long, and it will, is likely also that the doubt will quickly follow. Because your emotional reality changes during episodes, so will your belief. Once you know that, you can recognize it. Our belief in gospel truths is going to ebb and flow with our illness, the key to success is not to get caught up in those ebbs and flows and shifting emotions. Now I know that doesn't feel possible, but keeping with gospel patterns during our episodes will cause us to keep portions of our faith and belief, even when we don't exactly feel the truth as we did before. As we keep our covenants to the best of our ability, the Lord can provide the needed mercy to allow for moments of clarity. My experience has been, when I try to do my best with those daily things such as prayer, scriptures, and partaking of the sacrament, I tend to have more brief moments of clarity where I can feel the truth for a moment. This doesn't mean that the illness doesn't return or that I don't feel as lost as before. It just means that I have increased moments of reprieve from my shifting beliefs. Now there is something very important to understand about beliefs and how they become established in our lives. Lucifer is fully aware of how beliefs come to take hold in our mortal brains and souls. He knows that if he can mix a little truth with those philosophies of men, provide some positive feelings, and then demonstrate some type of convincing evidence, he can get us to believe those mingled truths we discussed in our last podcast. We must be ever so cautious and understand that Lucifer has the ability to make us feel positive emotions. Now he tends to use the mortal body and the internal reward system in that body, but he knows that for us to believe his mingled lies, we must feel it deeply and we must have some convincing evidence. Because our illness causes shifting emotions, which tends to alter our beliefs and cause doubt. Lucifer understands that he has opportunity when we are experiencing an episode. When we are unable to feel those positive emotions that reinforce our beliefs, Lucifer causes doubt to occur. Now, doubt is a negative emotion, and one that our brain and our soul does not like. We will do almost anything to remove ourselves from doubt because it is painful. Doubt causes emotional pain and pain is the one thing our brain cannot tolerate. The brain frantically searches for answers when doubt occurs, and if doubt remains for any length of time, the brain will begin to latch onto anything that removes the doubt. Then Lucifer enters with his alternate explanation of truth. Now he will subtly change the truth we know, altering it ever so slightly, providing an answer for our doubt. At times, these alternate answers can feel right, as Lucifer will allow us to feel what I will call mimicking positive emotions, similar but not identical to the spirit. Lucifer knows that once we have felt those emotions and begin to accept the answer, he needs to provide that reinforcing evidence. And so, interestingly enough, that evidence tends to show up at our doorstep. If we are questioning our testimony of the gospel in the sense of whether the Savior cares for us, Lucifer does not enter, stating the Savior does not care. He will say certainly the Savior cares, but that he has many disciples to attend to, and while you are important, there are others who have greater problems than you for now. He will not negate the truth, we know, but alter it. He will say tithing is important, but the church has more than enough money. They don't need my contribution. Lucifer alters the idea of tithing as a learning, as learning an important attribute about our Father in Heaven. That our Father in Heaven gives everything to His children, and we need to learn to give of our means to help others so that we become like our Father. Now, Lucifer alters that to the idea that our helping is insignificant in the grand scheme. We go then from learning attributes of our Father in Heaven to thinking that tithing is all about keeping the lights on at the meeting house. When we talk about various forms of sin, Lucifer twists the ideal of the Savior's love into the Savior accepting me for who I am and that I don't need to change. When the scriptures are actually pretty clear that whom the Savior loves, He chastises and requires repentance and change through His atonement. When Lucifer causes us to believe that the Lord will accept me for who I am and I need no repentance he negates the main reason for the Savior's sojourn on earth, His Atonement. And if needed, Lucifer can even be more subtle in his approaches. When we are in these moments of emotional difficulty with our illness, we must be ever so cautious about those half-truths brought before us as we are more likely to adjust our beliefs when we are in emotional turmoil. It is also important to understand that the mania side of bipolar can be a terrible place for belief because everything feels right. The same is true for depression or anxiety as nothing might feel right. We should fully understand that our brain is actually set up naturally to trust our emotions. Our emotions provide motivation and are the precursor to action. Our brain looks to our emotions to know how to act and what to do. We are emotional beings, and that brings with it serious considerations when we are altering or forming new emotional beliefs. The question then arises, how do I know what is true or not if Lucifer can mimic positive emotions? There exist a few keys to understanding how to distinguish Lucifer's imposter feelings from the Lord's. The first is that Lucifer does not want you to have those positive feelings for long. So his imposter feelings will not last and will not remain once you have traveled down his road. You might feel them for a short time, but they will eventually be removed. The second thing to note is that the Lord's positive emotions tend to be more spiritual and related to joy and happiness. Lucifers tend to be related to pleasure and physical energy. Lucifer tends to be exciting The Lord tends to be peaceful. The Lord's methods also tend to be long-term and remain. And Lucifer's, of course, tend to be short-term. The Lord tends to speak to us through the scriptures and the prophet's interpretations of those scriptures. Lucifer tends to use the scriptures but bend the interpretation to fit our personal desires. Lucifer tends to incite selfishness and the Lord unselfishness. Lucifer also tends to move us away from the Savior by slight deviations. It is rare that Lucifer would ever point us towards the atonement and a relationship with the Savior. Lucifer ultimately desires our misery, and so when we begin to believe something and it feels empty and hollow, then it is time to move on. The Lord's teachings will tend to be filled with light consistently. Remember those three words enlightening, enlarging, and delicious. Now understand that when you have mental illness, you are going to make many mistakes with emotions and beliefs. That is just part of the illness and its consequences. However, the Lord understands this and will continue to point you in the right direction if you are open to listening to His voice. You will receive gentle reminders and sometimes not so gentle reminders He will continue to work with you as you work through finding the truth and making it a part of your life. If you continue to try, through scripture, prayer, listening to the prophets, and doing whatever you can to stay close to Him, even when you make mistakes, He will continue to guide you back to the truth. Remember, we are here to learn good from evil by experience. And when you have mental illness, you are going to have many of them. The key is to continue to listen for the Lord's voice and his guidance and counsel. If you don't close yourself off and continue to listen, you will find the truth, even if it takes some time and effort. Don't give up. The key to all of this is to keep trying, even if that trying is minimal at times because the illness has you in its grasp. Don't give up on the Lord and he will never give up on you. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do His.